good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Join me right now, Peggy Stanton, author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta. She was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent and has hosted many programs for Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. Uh, Her first book was The Daniel Dilemma, The Moral Man in the Public Arena. And Peggy and I have been getting together to talk about the uh, upcoming gospel readings for Sunday. And, of course, this coming up to the... uh, perhaps the most famous of Jesus' parables, the parable of the prodigal son. But Peggy, before we go there, I'm just curious, you know, given your familiarity with the public scene, uh, do you have any uh, Queen Elizabeth stories for us? I I had no, <laughs> as we said earlier, I uh, unfortunately never had the privilege of interviewing Queen Elizabeth. Uh, but uh, I did... I did uh, cover uh, Princess Margaret when she came to Washington. Uh-huh. Uh, and she made quite a splash, but she was ex- very, very different, as everybody who has studied the crown knows, than uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, my only connection, if you can even call it a connection, is that um, when uh, Queen Elizabeth learned that she was uh, when Princess Elizabeth learned that she was now Queen Elizabeth, that her father had died, uh, she was uh, in Kenya staying at a r- famous resort there called Treetops. And we stayed there, uh, my family and I stayed there, and I remember reflecting on that, the fact what it would be like. Uh, the little places where you stayed were kind of on stilts, uh, right there, and you could watch the uh, uh, animals, the wild animals, mm. walking around beneath you. Wow. But what a what a uh, place to be, and to and to get her out of there as quickly as possible, and back to England must have been quite a feat. Interesting. Then the other connection uh, was that when uh, Prince Charles uh, was still a bachelor. Uh, he used to vacation uh, on Windermere Island in the Bahamas, and so did my husband and I. And he was very unassuming and very friendly with the um, entrepreneurs of the resort where we stayed. Yeah. So we would get all kinds of stories about his he'd barbecue and <laughs> you know <laughs> for them and so forth. Yeah. yeah. But Princess Di and. Uh, uh, it was not in the scene at okay. that point. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, um, you know, is your general impression uh, similar to mine, and that is that uh, over her reign, uh, Queen Elizabeth was a source of stability and dignity. Uh, mm, mm, very much so, yeah, I think. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, she she. Uh, you know, through some extremely difficult moments, and of course, one of the most difficult must have been uh, all of the hoopla and adoration that went toward Princess Di. Sure, uh, she maintained real dignity then, and she gave a. If you recall, she made a speech to the nation uh, at, shortly after uh, Di's death, mm-hmm. and and it was very, very good. She handled herself very, very well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. Well, let's uh, turn our attention to this Sunday's Gospel reading, The Prodigal Son. And I know 
virtually everybody listening to me uh, would say, well, we know exactly what that's about. But let me, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to read it anyways. I won't read the full reading uh, for Sunday, but I'll, I'll read the portion of uh, the reading which deals directly with uh, the prodigal son. There's other material. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the parable of the ten coins. and um, mm-hmm. So let me, let me go to the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, a man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to be one of the local citizens who sent him, excuse me, excuse me, he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farms to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? And here I am, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up, went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him. He was filled with compassion and ran to his son, embracing him, kissing him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it, and then let us celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son, who had been out in the field and on his way back, as he neared the house, heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he said to his father in reply, All these years, look, I have served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf? He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Again, the Gospel of Luke, which we'll be hearing this coming Sunday, chapter 14, excuse me, 15, uh, verses, oh, about uh, let's see, 17 to 32. It, is a remi- it remains... A remarkable parable. It, mm-hmm. It's a wonderful story. It remains a moving story, and um, in in some way, it never gets old. Yeah, right. I guess because we're all in need of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the uh, catechism has many, many references to the parable of the po- prodigal son, and I tried to 
pluck out uh, some of the most uh, meaningful. Sure. Um, in paragraph 1443, it says that during his public life, Jesus not only forgave sins, but also made plain the effect of this forgiveness. <clears throat> Excuse me. He reintegrated forgiven sinners into the community of the people of God from which sin had alienated or even excluded them. A remarkable sign of this is the fact that Jesus received sinners at his table, a gesture that expresses in an astonishing way both God's forgiveness and the return to the bosom of the people of God. You know, I was thinking, um, Al, last Sunday's gospel and a couple of other gospels that we've talked about uh, emphasize sort of uh, what you might call the hard teachings of Christ, the demands that he makes of his uh, apostles, his disciples. But this gospel uh, really shines a light on the absolute extravagance of of God's love and forgiveness mm-hmm. for His people, you know, it exceeds expected bounds, doesn't it? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I, I think that's one of the great uh, teachings here. It's going to surprise us. We're going to be shocked at how uh, overwhelmingly merciful and gracious uh, God is. Uh, yeah. Well, it says in um, uh, paragraph five eighty nine, it says Jesus actually gave scandal. Yeah. Above all, when he identified his merciful conduct towards sinners with God's own attitude toward them. Of course, he was God, (laughs) Despite (laughs) despite the disputes of the Pharisees. He went so far as to hint that by sharing the table of sinners, he was admitting them to the messianic banquet. Yeah. But it was most especially by forgiving sins that Jesus placed the religious authorities, this is an interesting point, uh, of Israel on the horns of dilemma. Were they not entitled to demand and consternation? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And by forgiving sins, Jesus either is blaspheming as a man who made himself God's equal, or is telling the truth, and his person really does make present and reveal God's name. Um, and, and then he, at 545, a paragraph talks about, again, about inviting sinners to the table of the kingdom. And, and of course, he, he, one of his most famous lines is, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he invites them. This is a, a big point of, of, of the catechism uh, issues is that uh, we're talking here about conversion, and I'm not so sure that we fully, do you think we really fully think of this as a tale of conversion? Because you could, uh, as I think sometimes I've thought in my own mind when I was more more cynical than I am now, and that that, uh, he was just being... uh, you know, self-serving, and the fact he was very hungry, he didn't have any money left, he might as well go home and, uh, and try to get his father to forgive him. Mm-hmm. But, but the catechism makes clear that that he's the prodigal son, uh, as Jesus portrays him, is very sincere. And uh, yeah, 
Yeah, you first, in, in reading it, you don't get the impression that he's undergone a great moral conversion. Right. Yeah. He just realizes, what the heck? Here yeah. I am, you know, <laughs> yeah. eating with yeah. the pigs. I'd be better off with my father. And uh, <laughs> so he he then, I'm sure there's repentance there because he admits he was wrong and to, to leave. But, yeah, I, he's acting out of his own self-interest in many ways, uh, which is which makes the... Which makes God's prodigality, his own overflowing grace mm-hmm. to him, that much more remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hold it there. We'll take a break and continue the conversation. Looking at the gospel of the prodigal son, Luke 15. And uh, it's coming up uh, this Sunday. Peggy Stanton, my guest. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Peggy Stanton. It's our weekly look at Sunday's Gospel reading. It will feature the story of the prodigal son. In many ways, it's really the story of the extravagant father, uh, because it's his graciousness, his mercy, which is central uh, to the parable. Don't you think so, uh, Peggy? Yes, uh, uh, I do. I've always, well, I hadn't really until a couple of years ago when uh, they pointed Someone in a um, theological dissertation pointed out it really is the story of the Father. So, of course, immediately you think of God the Father. But uh, in today's Magnificat, uh, there was a meditation of, you have to tell me how to pronounce this last name, but it's St. Peter Chrysologidus. (laughs) Anyway, he's in the the year 450. He's a doctor of the church. Chrysologus. Chrysologus. Chrysologus, yes. I didn't have it in front of me. (laughs) No, I don't have it in front of me either, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Um, But but he had a very interesting meditation where he um, places the merciful father is really Christ the good shepherd who is who's going after the lost sheep um but but That's, since um it, there is only one god three sure. persons of one god uh, i guess it's a, a small point but um i i think what i have found interesting in and meditating and reading and thinking about this gospel is it the word conversion, and maybe it's simply because I just finished a book on the subject of conversion. Yes, right. But um, the, this is in paragraph 1439. It puts it very well. It says, The process of conversion and repentance is described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son because the center of which, as just as you said, is the merciful father. And then you have the fascination of illusionary freedom, the, the abandonment of the father's house, the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself mm-hmm. obliged to feed swine, and still worse, at uh, wanting to feed the hu- on the husks that the pigs were eating. <laughs> Yeah, imagine that. His reflection on all he has lost, his repentance and decision to to declare himself guilty before his father, the journey back, the father's generous welcome, the father's joy, 
All these are characteristic of the process of conversion. Yeah, very nice. The beautiful robe, the ring, and the festive banquet are symbols of that new life, pure, worthy, and joyful of anyone who returns to God and to the bosom of the family, which is the church. Only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. Yeah, yeah. That it's again, it's incredibly rich, and um, you've got you got the conversion process described, and then you have, of course, the fruit of conversion uh, described in in vivid images uh, all through the parable. Um, but it also links the catechism wants to link this um, to the sacrament of uh, reconciliation, confession. Sure. Tell, tell us more. Uh, well, uh, it's, it says that um, when, when you know, you go through this conversion process uh, in the sense that you're deeply sorry and deeply repentant of uh, your sin, but you have to actually ask God for forgiveness uh, so that uh, if, 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 say... Um, you go on a pilgrimage, say, either Medjugorje or Lourdes or wherever, and you feel a sense of of sorrow for sin, but if you don't go to confession, yeah, yeah. you don't experience what, what uh, this pure, the worthy and joyful sense that you feel once you know your sins have been forgiven. Yeah. So um, I... I I, I thought that one of the descriptions here, uh, it's in paragraph 1468, um, says the whole power of the sacrament of penance consists in restoring us to God's grace and joining us with him in an intimate friendship. Reconciliation with God is thus the purpose and effect of the sacrament. For those who receive the sacrament of penance with contrite heart and religious disposition, reconciliation is usually followed by peace and serenity of conscience with strong spiritual consolation. Indeed, the sacrament of reconciliation with God brings about a true, I like this, I haven't heard this expression before, true spiritual resurrection. Hmm. restoration of the dignity and blessings of the children of God, of which the most precious gift is friendship with God. And I've experienced that myself, and I've actually... Uh, have you ever witnessed that? Somebody uh, somebody who, say, hasn't been to confession in a very long time. Yes, yeah, and, absolutely, I've seen it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've seen tears uh, mm-hmm. as a result of it uh, on more than on more than one occasion. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I saw it um, just last night. I was at a prayer meeting, and um, someone uh, had come back. A couple had come back from Medjugorje, and um, the wife had not by her own admission, been she's a practicing Catholic, but like so many Catholics, hadn't been to confession in a long, long time. And she said, um, 
and she was absolutely on fire last night. And uh, she said that when she came out of confession, she actually felt like she was floating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first confession, I still remember very vividly. So I was, I'm not sure, what, what the third, fourth grade? I, I don't remember <laughs> yeah. exactly, but I was young. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can remember... And I and I want to stress that I was no spiritual prodigy uh, at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I stood out. I mean, I wanted to be a good kid. Yeah. But um, I went. I, I went my first confession, and um, I actually had the they. The, it, they were very busy, and I couldn't get into the closed, uh, the little closet type confessionals. Right. So I, I had to go into a room. <laughs> Oh. And I thought, oh, oh. no, I'm yeah, going to yeah. have to look at him face to face. <laughs> but, it, but, but it, you know. It's, it's, Some ways that's easier. Yeah, at fourth or fifth grade, you know, how how bad are your sins? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I went and, um, you know, I was unfamiliar. So I went and I, I remember receiving absolution. And I remember leaving St. Clair's Church there in East Haven, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and stepping out onto the driveway, which was just about 200 yards from my house. Uh-huh. And I can remember absolutely thinking that I was fit, ready for heaven. I, I felt <laughs> as though I was walking on clouds. It, yeah. And it lasted, I don't know, you know, a while, a little 10, yeah. 10 minutes and got home. But I've never forgotten that. Here I am, yeah. many, many years yeah. older. That's and, fascinating. And I and, and I remembered that, even though I left the, the Catholic faith. Uh, uh, but I remember, this is why I, I always say we shouldn't underestimate the value of uh, bringing our children through the sacraments. Right. Uh, even if sometimes we, you know, we don't, we don't think they're getting it. Wall, you know, I mean, right, right. Uh, it's it's worthwhile. I, I'm testimony to it. My mom and dad never. Uh, we were faithful in church attendance. That we went through the sacraments, but my home was not a home in which there was any uh, direct catechesis. We didn't mm-hmm. pray together. We didn't, yeah. you know, they didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that was kind of the aura. Yes, of that I think era, so. Too. Don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, that was very common, uh, and I think. At this, but my my point is though, praise God, there was objective grace in the sacrament, and it did yeah. it did its work. And many years later, when I came into full communion with the Catholic Church after leaving it, I looked back at uh, and with great gratitude to my mother and father for having me baptized and for having me go through this exercise of first mm-hmm. confession, first Eucharist. You know, so. Isn't it isn't it too bad, Al, that that people don't fully recognize the power of uh, confession to give this kind of joy? Yeah. And, yeah. It, it, uh, I admit that even today, and I try to go once a month. Yeah. Uh, but but I never look forward to going into the box. But I yeah. feel great when I come out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a common experience too. Yeah. But it's worth it when you come out because yeah. you just feel so much better. And I've even had the experience where I felt I was being called to go to confession, mm-hmm. and I and I was maybe concerned about some fault or sin, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and had the wonderful surprise of consolation of the 
priest saying, you know, that's, that really wasn't a sin. Yes, yes. You know, and I thought, how kind of God. Right, you know, right. He wanted you to stop worrying about something that was not a sin and called you to come to confession so he could tell you that. Yeah. You know, I, I had the, uh, kind of the opposite experience. In my first confession, when I returned to the church, uh, I had prepared, you know, I hadn't been to confession in, um, I don't know, 30, uh, close to, yeah, it must have been 30 years. Wow. <laughs> so so uh, I obviously made quite a list. Um, <laughs> a boatload. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was pretty good in getting them all in kind. A number was a little <laughs> difficult after 30 years. But, but I, I remember going to the priest, and the priest, as I started, the priest said, yeah. oh, you don't need to do all that. Yeah, let, all I want to know is, do you do you love God and want to do His will? And I said, well, yeah. He said, that's all I need to know, and oh he goodness. absolved me. And what's funny? What's funny about this is, I left, you know, yeah, and I right. re- returned to the church. And I started, mm-hmm. and I I interviewed, came across Mitch, Father Mitch Pacwa. Mm-hmm. He, he and I had a mutual friend, and uh, when he came to Detroit. I interviewed him on this Detroit station where I was at. Right. And off the air, I I told him about this experience. I said, Father Mitch, should I do I need to go back and go through this list? And he said, No. Look, you, you were acting in good faith, and uh, God's grace was was operative there. You were ready to do the right thing. Uh, this priest just was didn't didn't handle it pastorally very well. So, but I I do think it's important sometimes. Uh, Occasionally, we'll find priests who don't seem to uh, have the same sense of gravity regarding mm-hmm. our sins mm-hmm. as we do. That's what. That's well. What sometimes I think, probably in that case, Al, you you in a way wanted to delineate it. You felt yeah. you'd feel better. Right. Uh, I, I here's a strange story, uh, and we were talking about Medjugorje. I went one time with a woman who was not Catholic. But she was very interested in, and she was have the mother of three children, and she was having an affair, mm. and um, so she wanted to go to confession. Well, you know, I don't know what the rules in the church are, but I don't think you you can go to conf- or you can go, but you uh, well, you need to be amendment gonna... of purpose. Yeah, right. Uh, so she went to confession, and she didn't feel the priest. <laughs> Was tough enough for her. Can you believe that? Oh, good heavens. So she she went, was repenting. So yeah. yeah. And she went back to somebody else, and and he really took her through. I mean, he wasn't mean, but he took her through all the things she wanted to talk about. And she, she had come to the pilgrimage as, as kind of reserved and distant. And she was almost giddy. Yeah. I mean, she came yeah. out, she was an entirely different <laughs> personality. God, that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 And she gave up the affair, and, she, you know, she became a Catholic. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, these, are, these are stories we really do need to tell, and it, we are encouraged when we hear them. Uh, and many of us can, we kind of resonate with them because we've gone through similar experiences. Peggy, thanks so much. Uh, thank and you, Al. We'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Peggy Stan joining us today, helping us focus in on the gospel reading for Sunday, the famous story of the prodigal son, which again, should be something like the parable of the extravagant father. I'm Al Cresta. <laughs> 